day, and welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you decided to join us. Every summer here on Detroit Today, we decide on a text to read together with you, the audience, as part of the WDET Book Club. In the past, we've explored issues of housing insecurity, lead contamination in water, and America's centuries-long history of racial violence and inequality. This past summer, we did something just a little different. Instead of choosing a book, we chose to read the U.S. Constitution together and explore the ways it protects against and the ways it creates and perpetuates inequality. Although we recently wrapped up our weekly conversations about the Constitution on this show, we're going to continue to explore these issues on a regular basis. And today, we're going to pick it back up with a look at truth. Now, the word truth does not appear in the U.S. Constitution, but it's a document that does guide Americans' ability to seek out the truth. And if you think about it, it is one of the principles that seems at the core of the democracy the founders were trying to establish. Now, in the First Amendment, for example, we protect speech and a free press. And in this era of disinformation, social media trolling, and political polarization, it's as important as ever before to understand the path to the truth that are available to us and the barriers that stand in the way as well. Can we even reach a common understanding of what truth means in America in 2021? And can we say what it means to our notion of freedom and democracy? How important is truth and how do we protect it? That is where we begin the conversation today. And we've got two guests who have given these questions a lot of thought. Jonathan Rausch is a senior fellow in the Governance Studies Program at the Brookings Institution, and his newest book is The Constitution of Knowledge, A Defense of Truth. Jonathan, welcome to Detroit Today. Happy to be here. And Jim Townsend is director of the Levin Center at Wayne State University Law School. Jim, welcome back to Detroit Today. Stephen, it's great to be with you. So, Jonathan, I'm going to start with you. As I mentioned at the top of this conversation, the word truth doesn't appear anywhere in the Constitution. But I think that our founding fathers built that word into the framework of our government and our democracy. It is one of the words that I think powers the ideals that are ensconced in the Constitution. Uh, Talk about whether you agree that that's true and why it's significant, if it is. Sure, it's, it's very much true. Um, and the best way to see that is to start with where the word truth does appear, which is in the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident. Mm-hmm. And the Declaration then lays them out. That's the statement of fundamental principles, truths, values, on which the American Republic rests. The Constitution is a document that sets out a process, a political process of compromise, negotiation, balancing power, which is premised on the notion that there are those underlying truths, that all are created equal, and so forth, and sets out also a neutral process um, that guarantees freedom of speech 
and then the kind of political conversation which allows us to arrive not only at political settlements about power, but also implicitly about truth. Uh, it gives us a mechanism for coping with our conflicts, including the ones about knowledge. We've got to deal with each other. So, uh, Jonathan, I, I want to talk just a little about how that notion of truth and the role it plays in the republic has maybe changed over time. And I guess what I'm referring to there is the fact that the ways in which we communicate with each other, the ways in which we debate the issues in our country, the ways in which we share information have changed so dramatically since the founders put all those words down. Uh, does truth itself mean something different or take on a different uh, dynamic in 2021 than it did, for instance, in uh, 1790? I don't know that truth itself does. In fact, many of the problems that we're having today, the so-called epistemic crisis, are problems that would have not been unfamiliar to the, the founders. For example, sociopaths in politics who lie a lot. The 1800 campaign was famous for the slinging around of terrible political lies. Mm -hmm. um, in the uh, newspaper business, the media in the early days of the Republic and on through the 19th century was just full of hyper-partisanship and fake news. And one of the things the founders most worried about is how do you run politics if people don't bother to be truthful? They warned us again and again, the, the Constitution's just a piece of paper, but it relies on civic virtues in order to work. That is to say, people need to behave in ways that are, are uh, observant of norms like truthfulness. They understood that without that, as John Adams said, uh, the um, we'll just break through the Constitution the way a whale goes through a net. Mm. So, uh, no, it's not a new problem. And I think the notion of truth then was quite similar to now, and that's because the founders were living in the era when the modern scientific notion of truth was being invented, and we're still drawing on those ideas, especially from John Locke. Mm. So, Jim Townsend, uh, the concept of truth is built in many ways into the mission at the Levin Center at Wayne State, promoting fact-based legislative oversight and civil discourse are both right there in your mission statement. And, of course, you are also a former state lawmaker here in Michigan. So what is it about our politics and political system uh, that has allowed the discourse to devolve in ways that don't promote truth or common understanding? How do we get to this current state where truth seems so much in danger? Well, we've, uh, I, I think what we've fallen into is a spiral of, uh, of, of disinformation, misinformation, and, and then the frustration the public feels when our inability to ascertain the truth, agree on some facts, causes us to be unable to solve important public problems. And then that sows more uh, distrust and and frustration in the public, making the public tune out and be less inclined to hold their leaders accountable to some sort of truth. So at, at your, you're, you're absolutely right, Stephen. At the, at the Levin Center, what we're seeking to do is to get lawmakers in Congress and in state legislatures and, and to some degree even overseas to return to the facts. Uh, but we also want the public to exert pressure on them to do that. Uh, you know, Politicians, and I, I'm speaking as a recovering politician myself, 
um, are not going to do things unless the public wants them to do those things. They have to feel that pressure. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, on the one hand, we're trying to get lawmakers, we're trying to show lawmakers how to pursue oversight and investigations that are fact-based. But we're also trying to cultivate the public's expectation that they, that lawmakers behave this way through research and through uh, information we share with the public that exposes, you know, how well lawmakers are actually doing their jobs. Mm. So, uh, Jim, you were in, in, in politics, as you point out. Can you imagine how you would be approaching some of these questions now? What's the burden that should be on public officials to push back? against the the proliferation of untruths uh, in politics, which have always, uh, as uh, as Jonathan pointed out, they've always been with us. But we right. do seem to live in an era where there are more liberties being taken, I think, by those who hold public office with not just taking in the, 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 the power of, of lying and taking advantage of the power of lying, but also not pointing out that uh, that lying has become uh, such a, a powerful tool in politics and that it does damage to the political system. What would you be saying and doing if you were still in politics? Well, one thing I would point out is that, um, in, and this is so true in Michigan as it is elsewhere, but think about Michigan in the last decade. You know, we've witnessed two devastating public health disasters and our inability to effectively respond to those, you know, those catastrophes, the Flint water crisis, and now the COVID pandemic. And, you know, we have to own up to the fact that a significant reason why we're failing to address these situations is that lawmakers don't hold themselves accountable, and they don't hold uh, the executive branch accountable for actually um, carrying out public policy properly. And, and, and you can't have that kind of conversation if, it, if you aren't willing to really explore the facts. And, and you've got to be able to do that by working across political boundaries. If everybody retreats into their own tribe and then they conduct oversight, you know, and they do hearings and so on, that oversight just won't be credible because everyone will, you know, people on the other side or people in the middle will look at it and go, well, okay, but but those facts, you know, they, they, they're skewing the facts. Whereas if you do what, what Senator Levin taught us to do, our, our beloved and recently departed uh, founder at the Levin Center, what he taught us to do was to work across the aisle with people you disagree with to explore the facts and to do investigations. And when you do that, you do better work. And this is, the, this is why I think John's book is so important. John points out this amazing system we've created for uncovering facts in the sciences, in our professions. Well, the same thing needs to happen in Congress. We have to have an adherence to diversity of viewpoint. And you can't be retreating into your, your, you know, your tribe and holding hearings and pretending that you're actually getting to the facts. So ultimately, we've got to have a system, and the public has to insist on lawmakers working across the aisle to get at the truth. Mm. So, uh, Jonathan, I want to talk a little about Donald Trump, which I think uh, I, I think he's a person who has captured uh, very much, I think, the essence of the problems that we're having with truth. 
Uh, you know in that in his 2016 campaign, 70 percent of his statements that were checked by PolitiFact came up as mostly or entirely false. He also averaged 20 plus false statements a day over the course of his presidency and the Stop the Steal campaign and the 1-6, January 6th Capitol insurrection were based on a really big lie about the election. So what is the danger for the constitutional order and the republic when it's a president, the chief executive, who behaves this way? And talk a little about whether we've ever seen this level of mendacity in the White House before. Well, thank you for going there, Jim. We've been talking about the epistemic crisis, the truth crisis so far in the passive voice as if we were kind of all walking in the park as a country and this terrible thing happened and it's time to put names on it. What I'm about to say will inevitably sound partisan. I am center right. I have voted for and supported many Republicans and admired many. But what's happening now uh, has no precedent in the United States that I know of, at least not since the 1850s when Southern secessionists waged a massive disinformation campaign claiming that the North was going to sweep down and take over the South and destroy its way of life and make all the white people have sex with black people. Mm. That ended very badly, as you know. Mm -hmm. What we've seen since basically 2015 and 16 is for the first time in American history, the adaptation and weaponization of Russian-style mass disinformation tactics used in American politics. Those are tactics like firehose of falsehood, where you swamp the media and the public with so much uh, fakery, disinformation, conspiracy theories, lies, half-truths, and so on, that people no longer even know which end is up. That's why Trump is telling something like 20-plus lies a day. No one's ever done anything like that. Mm. No one's ever run a political campaign where 70% of the checkable facts were true. If he opened his mouth, he was probably lying. No one ever began their presidency lying about whether it rained during the inauguration or the size of the crowd. Things that are so blatantly, obviously lies that it's not about trying to convince people. It's trying to confuse people, all capped with the most audacious brilliant and successful disinformation campaign ever run in America, which is Stop the Steal, has convinced two-thirds of Republicans that the election was stolen. It was not. It was carried into the halls of Congress by members of Congress um, who questioned the election based on completely false premises, and it's still going. It's now escaped the confines of Donald Trump personally and has become a standard method of operating for the Republican Party. This is extremely dangerous for a republic. This is what the founders worried about. This is why the Constitution requires a certain amount of truthfulness, because these tactics, disinformation, information warfare, they are powerful and sophisticated, hard to resist. They polarize the country. They split it. They cause a divergence into two realities. They make us ungovernable. Ultimately, as we've seen, they can lead to civil war. So we need to be alarmed about this, and we need to Unfortunately, we need to name the perpetrators who are doing it. Mm. And when we do that, it seems that one of the problems is that it's not convincing to the people who are attracted to that brand of, of politics. And there, there does seem to be something about right now with the power of social media, for instance, and the insularity, I think, of community 
on things like social media that make it harder to push back against and try to redefine truth as the center of uh, democracy, Jonathan? You know, you had some premises that opened the door to these tactics. One is polarization, but polarization and propagandization go together. That's why Vladimir Putin was working so hard to divide Americans. A divided society is more open to propaganda because it's easier to make people believe crazy stuff about bad stuff about the other side. And then propaganda aims at dividing the country against itself that weakens the middle, which makes it easier to drive a demagogic or dictatorial kind of style of governing through it. So these things are working together. They didn't start under under Trump. Um, we see them in talk radio, uh, in Fox News, um, but they become much, much worse in the Trump years. People focus a lot on social media because it's the new shiny object. Research on the subject suggests social media is only down at number three hmm. on the list of disinformation prob problems. Number two is cable news and talk radio. But number one, far and away the most important source of disinformation is politicians. In other words, Trump and people in his party and people in, in the MAGA orbit um, who are using their political platforms for disinformation. So, yeah, some things in society certainly made us vulnerable. The, even worse, however, when a political movement comes along and determinately exploits and in, it expands those vulnerabilities. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. We are going to raise some money here on WDET. And remember, all day today on Detroit Today, this hour, we've got this $1,200 match from former U.S. attorney Saul Green and his wife Diane Green, close friends of my family. I want to thank them for stepping up to incentivize more gifts to WDET to keep all this great programming on the air. When we come back, we're going to continue this conversation about true and the Constitution and the world that we live in in 2021 in America. We want to hear from you as well. Do you think America is a country that values truth, either in the framework of our laws or in government or among American citizens? Where do you turn for truth and how do you value truth in your decision making and in your life? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter for comments there, and uh, we'll try to work you into the conversation. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Right today on 1019 WDET, I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm glad you've joined us. I'm talking with Jonathan Rausch, who is a senior fellow in the Governance Studies Program at the Brookings Institution. His newest book is The Constitution of Knowledge, A Defense of Truth. Also with us is Jim Townsend, who's director of the Levin Center at Wayne State University Law School. We're talking about truth, the place it holds in the U.S. Constitution, the place it holds in the health of our democracy and where we are with the state of the power of truth 
in an era where we have a president who's uh, a former president at this point whose um, M.O. was to indulge the power of the lie in order to influence uh, his followers and and win more support. Uh, what do you make of the truth and its power in 2021? What does it mean in your life and in your decision making? And do you find it harder to find things that are actually true, provably true, uh, to be able to help you make uh, those decisions? Uh, what are your trusted sources for truth? Is it your friends and your family? Is it your faith community? Is it the news media? Is it uh, uh, sources like WDET or other nonprofit uh, journalism sources here in Detroit? Or is it uh, old school for-profit media, the television stations, the newspapers that we have here? Uh, we want to hear from you about what you're thinking about the state of truth right now. Give us a call at 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. Uh, you can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. Uh, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll try to work you into the conversation. Jonathan, before we get to our listeners, uh, you know that the founders warned us often that the Constitution relied on these uh, civic virtues, and one of them was truthfulness. Uh, we, we know what they were worried about, and we are seeing, I think, what happens when politicians in the public uh, abandoned uh, that principle. Uh, we were talking before the break about the need to, to stand up to that, uh, but, but I want to push you just a little bit. Um, to talk about things that people can do in their individual lives to reverse this trend. It is, as you point out, uh, a subject that the public, that citizens need to take more control of. But I think the question always is, how? Well, most of us work in spheres where we deal with truth at least occasionally, and many people who listen to this show are professionals in what I call the reality-based community. That would be academia or science, number one. Number two is journalism, fact-based journalism. Number three is law, which is also about largely a search for fact. The idea of a fact comes from law, not science, mm -hmm. actually, initially. And the fourth is government. There are lots of agencies, everything from the FBI to the uh, to the Weather Service, which are truth-oriented. In all of those individual spheres, it's very important that we stand up in our institutions for the values of the Constitution of Knowledge, which is this process that we have that keeps us tethered to facts. And it, one of the most important things it does is say, no, it's a firing offense if you start making stuff up or if you tolerate that behavior. So there are lots of ways to shore up these institutions. Social media companies are a part of the problem, but they're working to become part of the solution. They're trying to revise uh, the way their, their systems work, change the algorithms, change the incentives. That kind of thing can help. In our personal lives, think twice before you, you, know, you retreat that that piece of news that might be fake. Mm. Um, Twitter's going to actually now interpolate a warning if you try to retweet something without reading it, which is good, but we need to rely on ourselves too well. We've been too quick to amplify the, the partisan nonsense uh, and the conspiracy theories. So we need to be careful about that. And we need to become, you know, 
Um, misinformation is like a virus. It really does work very much like a pandemic. And you can reduce it in the same way you can with a virus by being a barrier to it. Mm. You can stop the spread of a virus if you get vaccinated and you can stop the spread of misinformation if it reaches you and you don't pass it along. If you fact check it, if you push back, if you tell your friends, you know, I don't really think this is right. So those are things that we can all do to slow this down. Uh, Jim, at the Levin Center, this idea of civic virtues and propping them up, rebuilding them, uh, is a central part of the work. But I'm going to ask you the same question. Talk about how important it is for citizens to play a role in upholding those civic virtues and rebuilding the civic institutions uh, that, that form the framework for them. Well, I think um, I think the founders had in mind this idea of civic virtue, not just applying to elected representatives or politicians. It was, you know, it, it had to apply also to uh, ordinary citizens, and so people have to be um, inclined to insist that these institutions that serve them uh, live up to those ideals. And so, people, in, as John says, you know, people in their own lives deal with the truth, well, they should not tolerate um, people that represent them uh, misappropriating facts. Uh, When you invite charlatans into your hearing rooms to spew lies, uh, you know, you're you're betraying uh, a fact-based system, and uh, you're failing to to put a check on, on, on people who profit from lies. So, uh, ultimately, politicians are not going to do things unless the public insists that they do those things. And so what I would say to people is um, you have to embrace kind of a radical idea, which is, which is to reach out to people you disagree with uh, in the same sense that we want uh, politicians to collaborate in a fact-finding enterprise with people that they disagree with. Ordinary citizens can do the same thing um, and find ways to have conversations uh, with people you disagree with, because that's when you get to uh, a, a deeper understanding of these issues. Um, that's that's really uh, what what the constitutional knowledge that that John's describing really is about. It's about the fact that nobody's entitled to be above challenge when it comes to uh, the facts, mm-hmm. and and that when you have a system of these opposing kind of checks and balances, which is you know analogous to the checks and balances we have in the Constitution, you get a much better product at the end. And it's it's the best way to um, to combat the people in the system who are profiting from lies. Mm. Uh, again, Jim, that was that yeah, was beautifully ahead, said. If, if if I could just just add one more thing that sure. that people can do, which um, which which I'm trying to do, actually, Remember what we said about the close link between polarization and propaganda, and mm-hmm. that we make our society more vulnerable to lies when we hate each other. So there's a lot of movements now, civic movements in the United States, that are trying to bring people together and depolarize. I'm involved with one of them. It's called Braver Angels. Uh, and these movements, to the extent that they begin to get us talking to each other, reduce the levels of, of outrage and paranoia and suspicion across red and blue they make us less vulnerable to these propagandistic polarizing attacks. So this is something else we can do. Reduce our vulnerability, increase our resilience, 
by working uh, as a society at the at the civic level in our own lives and in our communities to come together more. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I would just add, I, I think um, what makes our system work, what makes civics and democracy work in America is is it's built on a foundation of local interactions and local accountability. Um, you, so, so it's really about the work. It's about working together to solve um, a public problem, you know, in your community and, and the sort of interactions and uh, relationships that are built. And I, I, I just have to tell a quick story. When, when I first started working with Senator Levin, I asked him, uh, how did you do it? How do you how did you work across the aisle with lawmakers, with senators that you really disagreed with vehemently? Mm-hmm. How did you guys manage to do these investigations and tackle these tough issues when you really, you know, didn't didn't agree? And he said it was about relationships, but it wasn't. People talk a lot about personal relationships and you know going out for drinks after work and so on, and that's important. But what Carl really meant was it was about the trust that they built in the course of doing investigations and fact-finding that allowed them to, uh, to really begin to see that while they disagreed philosophically, they could still embrace a fact-based approach to these problems. And it didn't mean that they always agreed on the final. You know, they often would vote against each other on the solution, but they could work together on understanding the problem and and that's the place where we have to where people in their ordinary lives in their work in their you know communities have to start yeah yeah again 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones let's go to melissa in metro detroit melissa what's on your mind uh hi Stephen. hi uh, and hello to your guests um so i just would like to um kind of tell my definition of truth or how I know if I'm telling the truth. Mm-hmm. And for me, um, if I am uh, not undervaluing myself personally or overvaluing, overvaluing my human value, then I'm telling the truth. Or, and, it, and that's also for other people. If I'm undervaluing another person's human value or overvaluing, then I'm not telling the truth. I, I I guess I'm I'm gonna want you to expand on that, Melissa. I'm not sure I'm I'm following what you're saying. How do you how do you sort of figure so that I out? Think, <laughs> right. So I think um, there's like this ancient wisdom in all of us, and that is something that all you know throughout history before before modern times, we lived with one another, we appreciated one another, we relied on one another. We weren't. Um, we didn't have this notion of an individual, and we're more important than everybody else. Mm. So, in in all of this, I think we have that wisdom that 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 I'm not more. I don't have more human value than you, Stephen, and I don't have less human value than you. Mm. Wow. That's the that's the truth I'm talking about. Yeah. Uh, and so, if if I find myself just on a daily basis, if I find myself overvaluing myself or undervaluing myself or another person, then I go, oh, wait a minute, you're lying to yourself. That's a lie. <laughs> <laughs> wow, Melissa, that's really fascinating. I'm, I'm really glad you called uh, and shared that perspective with us. I mean, it's something that obviously 
you've given uh, quite a bit of thought to. So, uh, again, I really appreciate the, the call and the comments. Let's go to Paul in Rochester. Paul, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks Hi. for having me. Uh-huh. Um, greetings to all of you and, and the guests. I really appreciate this topic. It's so <laughs> it's relevant on a daily basis mm-hmm. um, right now. <laughs> and um, one of my one of my thoughts was um, just in to highlight what I think is also why uh, this is such a critical and um, really scary kind of situation right now. Is like for example, the guest previously when we introduced the topic of president trump and his way of leadership if you want to call it that what's that just for the guest to talk about what we know is truth he had to make a warning of this may sound partisan and that's what really scares me because i feel like as a citizen when i want to you know verbalize something that's true for example and just say look we know the crowds were smaller for the inauguration for trump than mm-hmm. anybody else whatever like that people are already geared to somehow thinking how dare you be biased and <laughs> you know it's that it's coming from some place of malice or um conspiracy you know and uh, i'm you know i'm as a, as a family man now i live daily with the idea of Okay, we're trying to navigate a pandemic, and every day there's disinformation about risks of vaccines versus mm-hmm. not. And, you know, so it's, um, I certainly I appreciate, you know, just to talk about, uh, we, one, we need to know, yes, the truth is able to be identified and um, highlighted, mm-hmm. and that we should also suffocate lives and not <laughs> give oxygen to them. Yeah, that's my thought. <laughs> yeah, Paul, I really, really appreciate your call and your thoughts, too. I mean, I, I love that these both of these callers have obviously given a lot of thought to the idea uh, of truth and how to define it, but also how to kind of lift it up. Uh, Jonathan, I, I, I want to come to you and ask about the the ways in which the Constitution punishes untruth uh, and whether we ought to be more vigilant about uh, that particular kind of guardrail. Um, uh, again, the Constitution does not say the word truth, but uh, the First Amendment has been interpreted by the Supreme Court to have some limits and that uh, certain things fall outside the protection of free speech. One of them is falsehood. Um, can you talk about how we, how we deal with that and how we might maybe uh, deal with that a little more effectively in 2021? Uh, Well, for better or worse, falsehood, uh, saying things that are not true is constitutionally protected Mm -hmm. under the First Amendment. Uh, You can't go to jail for saying that it's raining today, even if it's sunny outside. And that's very important because the way we find truth is by making mistakes and finding each other's mistakes. And if you criminalize that process by criminalizing mistakes, then that knowledge stops. And we know that from the first, I don't know, 200,000 years of human history. So what the Constitution does with the First Amendment is basically say, apart from some really quite uh, quite narrow exceptions, mm-hmm. like, for example, fraud, uh, libel, um, direct threats, and a few other things, that we're kind of on our own. And the Constitution entrusts us through the process of colliding with each other, 
contrasting our viewpoints, having to work it out in conversation, it relies on us to use that process to work toward truth. And here's the problem. It's what we've been discussing the whole hour. Mm. The Constitution cannot make us approach that process in good faith. It assumes that we're walking in the door, most of us as Americans, really trying our best to figure out what's true. It does not assume that you get major political actors. You know, I'm not talking about just a random person on the street, but major political actors who are walking in the room with an agenda of deliberately distorting and polluting the information environment to make it very difficult to have these conversations. For example, by trolling people, that's a way to use outrage to kidnap, to hijack attention. Uh, makes it very, very difficult, sometimes impossible to have a civil conversation. So the Constitution is kind of relying on us to use the First Amendment wisely. It puts the process in place, and it's the greatest process ever. It's mm. liberated gay people like me, for example, mm. after centuries and centuries of oppression and hate. But it does rely on all of us to police ourselves and really walk in the door looking for knowledge, looking for truth, not just looking for political advantage. And I agree with Jim. That's kind of where we're falling down right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's go back to the phones quickly. Judy in Detroit. Judy, welcome to the show. Oh, Judy in Detroit. You probably need Hi. to turn on your radio there. Yeah, go ahead. Hello, and thank you for having me on. No, uh-huh. I just wanted to talk about different types of truth, meaning one type of truth is actual, factual, scientific, can be discerned truth that you can plot. For example, there's gravity. Mm-hmm. That is proven. You know, um, Things like that, that I think are true. But I think that the word truth gets mixed up with people's feelings. Mm. So if I tell you my story, that's my truth. And I believe everyone has their own story to tell, and that is their truth. And they align themselves with people who have similar stories, which is why we have these political divides. Mm. And yet what I heard one of the guests say, in terms of Levin saying that between all of these type of stories that we have, we can come to some common agreement. Mm. Mm. I'm not just one other comment I wanted to make is which I wish that the social media would have a questionnaire before you put things in. Are you basing your comment on factual truths and what? And if so, where did you get that truth from? Or is this your own personal? opinion a story yeah things like that <laughs> yeah uh judy i again really appreciate the call and the the, the, the very thoughtful response so jim townsend we only have about a minute left but i'll give you a chance to react to what uh, to what judy's talking about well i think these are great comments and and i i think what what the callers are highlighting is something i th- that i think is obvious but i think it, it bears uh, restating and that is that truth is a journey you know, truth is not a destination. Uh, truth is something that we're pursuing all the time. And um, we, we make mistakes, as John said, we make mistakes that uh, along the way. And, and when we realize they're mistakes, we, we get closer to the truth. Mm. Uh, and so we have to be clear about our terms. You know, tr- somebody's talked about their own personal truth. Uh, that's, that, that can be bound up in sort of their values and, and their belief system, which is informed by, presumably informed by facts, but, um, but the truth is, is, is something our system is, is, is designed when it's operating correctly to allow us the freedom to pursue. And, and, and what's, 
you know, what, what the caller said about, you know, valuing everybody, I think what she was getting at was this point that when you're in a community, and, and, and this goes back to ancient times, when you're in a community and you have to cooperate with each other, uh, you can't tolerate people who are telling lies mm-hmm. because you endanger the community. If you're somebody who's responsible, you know, for the crops and you're misinforming people about, you know, um, whether certain, you know, whether fertilizer and seed were actually applied, people could end up starving. Mm-hmm. So that sort of cooperation is something we have kind of hardwired into our communities. And that's where I think the solution lies for all of us, which is, which is in our institutions, whether that's Congress or our, you know, legal institutions or medicine or accounting or engineering, all these institutions really have to step up uh, and help the public understand and value the truth and call out people and not support politicians who are the main problem when they're violating um, these values. Okay, Jonathan Rausch and Jim Townsend, it was really great to have both of you here for this really interesting conversation. Thank you so much for joining us on Detroit Today. Thank you. This was wonderful. Yes, thank you very much. Okay, that is going to do it for us today. Come back tomorrow when Detroit's own Dream Hampton, whose docuseries Surviving R. Kelly detailed sexual abuse accusations against the R&B singer, joins the program to react to the news this week that Kelly has been found guilty on racketeering and sex trafficking charges and sentenced essentially to life in prison. This is 1019 WDET-FM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.